Hi, welcome to episode 656 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott, and on this podcast, I'll be talking about the Fantastic Four, Donald Trump's favorite superhero team. Why? Because they don't wear masks. Today is Fantastic Four Empire Issue Zero, published in July 2020 by writer Dan Slott and artists R.B. Silva and Sean Izaksi. So the issue starts with a really nice cover by Jim Chung, which makes me wish he was drawing this comic. Ah, it's the old bait and switch. I hate how they do modern covers. They trick you. It's all a scam. You know how they say you can't judge a book by its cover? Well, back in the old days, you could judge a comic book by its cover. Oh, it hasn't been that way in like over 20 years. Hey, hey, get off my lawn. Oh, where was I? Oh, Empire. Oh, Lord. Why am I going to read this? I hate crossover so much, especially when it's a horribly misspelled word. Empire with a Y. Maybe they, maybe it should be pronounced Impiri. Impiri. The issue starts in some kind of cosmic casino called, huh, the Casino Cosmico. Huh, clever. Some purple lady calling herself the profiteer is hopping up the betting on an event called the Cree Scroll War. Oh, well, that's a clever idea. Where did they come up with that? In this case, it's not really a war though. It's an arena battle between a Cree called Joe Vin and a scroll named Nikala. Two names that I will not remember for the rest of this episode. So the two of them start fighting. The Cree guy has a sword and a shield. The scroll turns into several different monsters. Her only problem is that she doesn't turn into a single monster that can't be stabbed with a sword. So the Kree wins the battle and stands there taking in the applause. But the scroll isn't dead, uh, almost dead, and the profiteer tells the people to fix up the scroll. There's another fight in three hours. Three hours? Oh, what a tough gig for these Kree and the, and the skull. They're fighting like, uh, fights to the death every three hours. Next, we finally see the Fantastic Four, along with the two kids, in a very stupid scene, I must say. Their spaceship has been hit by a rogue plasma flare. No explanation as to why Rogue is shooting plasma flares at the FF. Just kidding. And the ship has been damaged and is now stuck on an an asteroid with air, it seems. And here's where it gets really stupid. They see a passing ship. Yes, they see a passing ship in the middle of space, just chugging slowly by like a sailboat. Oh wait, it is a sailboat. It's a spaceship. It's got big sails on it like a pirate ship. So Johnny, to attract its attention, shoots a big flaming flare, a big flaming four flare, into the sky for the passing ship to see. Of course, by sky I mean he shoots the flaming four into space where there is no air and fire can't exist. Oh, there's a lot of stupid packed into this one page. So the space pirates get out. They are green men with squid faces and claw hands. They offer to help the FF in exchange for the thing going to the Cantina Cosmico and fighting in the arena on amateur night. Oh, this is some real Silver Age, far-fetched style nonsense in this issue so far. So the pirate ship hooks up a line 
and tows the FF's ship away. Back at the arena, Puffeteer is dead set on getting those Kree and Skull scrolls to fight again very soon, even though both are injured very badly. But she insists that the show must go on. This profiteer has more concern for money than people's health. What a timely comic. The FF arrive at the casino and they leave the kids alone with the ship. As always, these are the worst parents ever. Strange alien planet and they leave the kids alone. The kids promptly sell the ship for gambling money. <laughs> oh my goodness. The adults arrive at the arena for the start of the Kree scroll battle and they reminisce about the times that the Kree and the scroll have made peace in the past, like in Fantastic Four Annual 18. Reed then mentions another scroll in Kree he recently came across who were working in secret, and it says, See Incoming Number One, which is a strange name for a comic book. Incoming? As the fight begins, as the fight begins, Reed, su Reed suggests they get up and they go have a look around the casino. So Reed and Sue leave, they turn invisible, and they go look around. Franklin and Valeria try to get into the casino, but they're not allowed because, you know, they're children. Franklin lies and says they're Valerians, who just appear to age very slowly, like the Yoda baby. And so, they let them in. I guess asking for an ID is not a standard procedure at the Cosmic Cantino, or Cantino Cosmico. So the kids head over to the gambling table with their chips. So while Reed and Sue are off looking around, Ben and Johnny are still watching a battle and realize something that was not obvious to the reader earlier. The Kree and the Skrull warriors are children. So Ben and Johnny jump into the arena to stop the fight. Meanwhile, Instead of being annoyed by this, the profiteer starts trying to think of ways to profit off the appearance of Ben and Johnny in the arena. Just then, Reed and Sue turn visible, and Reed says, Profiteer, it's time you and I had a little talk one-on-one. -on -one. Reed asks why they're trying to keep the Kree-Scroll conflict alive, and she says that she's an elder of the universe whose sole ambition is the acquisition of wealth. She's also a war profiteer, so conflict is good for her. And then, she calls in her own big force of these big nasty robot-looking creatures, and while Reed is dodging these energy blasts, Profiteer points out that his own children are also in trouble. She shows an image of them gambling, and they are in trouble. From Sue, in the arena, the Skrull and Kit, the Kree kids are tougher than they look, and Johnny and, and Ben are having a hard time stopping them from fighting. Next, another very stupid bit of business. Valeria and Franklin are playing a dice game, rolling some dice, betting some money. Now the dice have some kind of alien lettering on them. So how do the kids know what they're rolling? Okay, maybe they figured it out before they started playing, but then Sue comes along and she's invisible and she helps them cheat by flipping the winning to a winning roll with her invisible hands. First of all, how does Sue know what the winning roll is? How does she know what the numbers are on the dice? She clearly did not have time to figure out what this alien dice game even is. It's ridiculous. So the kids get their winnings, and Sue drags them away. And surprise, surprise, Sue takes them to a roulette wheel and helps them cheat some more. And then they cheated cards. Oh, they're cleaning up. 
And all this is taking place while Reed is fighting for his life against a profiteer and her robot thugs. Yeah, he's in, he's in like danger and everyone else is off gambling and having fun. Somehow during all this mayhem, Reed is able to reprogram the arena settings. How did he even know the arena had, set, had settings? He chose the form of combat used by the Kree in back in FF Annual 18, which is a battle that ended in a tie. And here, it is declared that the scroll and the Kree kids are tied, and the battle comes to an end. And the kids are very confused, as am I. The Profiteer orders the kids taken back to their cell, but Franklin and Valeria show up covered in jewels and some kind of royal robes and crowns, which is a kind of a weird way to depict that they've won at the casinos. They agree to uh, make a deal with the Profiteer for in exchange for their ship and the freedom of the Skrull and Kree kids, they will give back all their winnings, which they cheated to win, but they should be able to figure that out. The Profiteer agrees and off the FF go to their ship with the two kids in tow. Great, just what the FF need. More kids. We just got rid of the Freedom Foundation kids and now there's more? So they're flying along and Ben seems to detect an asteroid field ahead and they come out of warp. Sue looks out the window and she says, those are not asteroids. That's what she said. Hi, welcome to episode 656, part two. Empire, number one, published in July, 2020. Written by Dan Slott and Al Ewing, with art by Valerio Shitty. Well, that's his name. So the FF come out of warp speed and they see a huge fleet of ships. Oddly, there's a journal entry by Reed, specifically mentioning the date of these events. April 2020 which is never a smart thing for a comic book to do. Is there not going to be a pandemic when they get back to Earth? Probably not. Now, Earth has a bigger problem in this universe. The combined forces of the Kree and Skrulls are about to invade. Yeah, the way 2020 is going, an alien invasion would not surprise me. Thank God we have Trump's Space Force to protect us. Reed orders Franklin and Valeria to take the two other kids home in the escape shuttle. Oh, that Reed, he's such a great parent. Sends the kids off alone right before an alien invasion. So the kids take off in the shuttle and Reed asks Sue to turn invisible. Johnny says, turning invisible always weirds me out. I was going to say it's been 60 years, he should be used to it, but I guess I can't really remember too many times where Sue has turned Johnny invisible. Somehow they find the Armada's flagship and they cozy up to the window of the bridge and they look inside. And they're surprised to see who's leading this attack. It's the guy who's half Kree and half Scroll. It's Hulkling from the Young Avengers, Theodore Altman. The Super Scroll is by Teddy's side, and since he has invisibility powers too, he can sense the invisible ship floating just outside the window, and he uses his powers to turn it visible. Does Sue and Super Scroll really have the power to sense other people who are invisible? I guess they do now. Next, we see the Avengers in, on the blue area of the moon, an area with an atmosphere where the Watcher lives and where the Inhumans used to live. We've got Captain America, 
Iron Man, Thor, Captain Marvel, Ghost Rider. Like, really? Ghost Rider on the Avengers? There's the Hulk, who kind of looks like a woman, but it's not the She-Hulk. He or she is still very big and bulky like the Hulk, and talks like an idiot. Like, person, woman, man, camera, TV. A scroll warrior offers a weapon to the Hulk, and she follows him? There's some dude named Kwa, the Celestial Messiah, who says the Kree and Scroll have united to destroy his people. If this is the first issue of Empire, why does it feel like I've missed something? Who are these people? And then the Hulk comes back, and they call her Jennifer! So it is the She-Hulk. I have no idea what happened to her, but it is not an improvement. But the big hammer that they gave her is helping her focus, calming her rage inside. I could use one of those. And now she's talking normal again. But she still looks like a brutish brute. So the Avengers notice the Kree Scroll Armada gathering around the Earth, and Iron Man calls them up and says that the Earth is under the protection of the Avengers. While calling the bridge of the flagship, he sees Teddy sitting on some type of throne, and the Fantastic Four there with him, which is a surprise to Tony Stark. Reed explains that when the Kree and the Skrulls made peace, they made the Hulkling into a figurehead leader. I just hope they're not waiting for the Hulkling to produce an heir. Teddy says he didn't want to take the role, but since it helped end the war between the Skrull and the Kree, he took it anyway. There's also the matter of the people on the moon, the Kotati, who seem to be in danger from the Armada. Teddy says not to worry, he trusts his, his advisors, the Super Scroll and the Kree guy, uh, Tanalith. Still, the Avengers are ready to rip into the Armada, despite Teddy's assurances, while the Fantastic Four seem unsure. And then Ghost, Ghost Rider swoops in using, uh, guess what? He can't fly his motorcycle in space, so he's driving his Ghost Quinjet. A Quinjet on fire with his Ghost Rider powers. Is this dumb or cool? I can't decide. The Fantastic Four try to talk Teddy into calling off the attack. He thinks about it, and then he stands up and he tells his crew to get ready for battle. By the way, please don't kill the Avengers, he asks. So outside, the Avengers are fighting the alien ships. People like Black Panther and She-Hulk are having their they have their little oxygen mask on and stuff. Well, so they're, at least they're not breathing in space. Shocking that they remember that detail. We see the Swordsman is on the Avengers. Yeah, the Swordsman, who was an Avenger for like a few months in the 1970s. How is he back on the team now? Where did he come from? He's going to fight some alien ships with his sword. Thor, meanwhile, throws his hammer at the flagship. It crashes into the bridge, and Teddy stops it with his sword. Can he do that? I guess so. Tony Stark, meanwhile, pulls some weird Independence Day shit and introduces a virus to the alien ship. And the ship, all the ships just stop dead, trapped on the moon. So this alien race, the Kotati, who have been told almost nothing about, I guess it, I think there was another Avengers Empire book that I missed. I guess they were supposed to be nice people. Turns out, they're not nice people. They're like, uh, they're like these flower people, and then the flowering begins, which is a weird choice of words. A big red, e a big red egg 
appears, say that ten times real fast, a big red egg, a big red, appears out of a big blue flower, and the head Kotati guy says, I come not to bring peace, but the sword of my vengeance upon you to bring punishment for your crimes at last. So I guess he's not a nice guy. Oh, Katato, you really had me fooled. Okay, you really didn't. So you didn't have Hulkling fooled either. Hulkling, by the way, one of my favorite 21st century created Marvel characters. And then these plant people have roots going everywhere, grabbing and destroying the Kree scroll ships, attacking the FF and the Avengers, and stabbing Reed through the chest with a sharp, pointy root. But he'll probably be okay because, you know, he can stretch and stuff. It just looks bad. And then, on the last page, the leader of the Kotati raises his sword, looks at Earth, and says, On this planet, we begin our empire. But in his dialogue balloon, empire is spelled with a Y. Which, that makes no sense. Why is it spelled with a Y in the, in the word balloon? So anyway, that is the end of Empire number one. And that takes us to Fantastic Forecast episode 656 part 3. It's Fantastic Four volume 6 number 21, released in July 2020, Living History by Dan Slott and Paco Medina with Sean Izaksi. Okay, I don't know why my four of my least favorite characters are on the cover of this book. Franklin, Valeria, Spider-Man, and Wolverine. It also says Empire across the top, misspelled with a Y instead of an I. Welcome back to the Fantastic Four. What a fucking nightmare. We start with some old Kree warrior talking about battles in the past. Fighting in the Battle of the Shattered Heart. What a dumb name for a battle. You know, the worst name for a battle of all time. The Battle of the Bulge. <laughs> Bulge. They cracked open the of the Forgotten Celestial with Nega Bombs, spilling out power into the universe that the Kree planned to use to power their empire for centuries. The Skrulls didn't like this fact. We see the Kree warrior fighting a Skrull. He loses an eye and the Skrull loses an arm. Don't worry, it's just a flesh wound. Skrulls can grow their arms back. We see the old warrior telling this story to the Kree supreme intelligence, the Kree leader, a big giant green head and a large fish tank. You know, if I could vote for a big green head and a huge fish tank, I would. And then we see the scroll warrior with one arm. Apparently, they can't regrow their arms. He's attending some ceremony too with the scroll empress. He's telling his story and she's cutting uh, she's cutting his hand and letting the blood pour into a bowl. You know, I don't care what kind of honor I'm getting award or whatever if the ceremony involves me cutting my hand and bleeding into a bowl that's a hard pass the scrolls all start to sing some song to the warrior and the empress goes over to a pool full of scroll babies and she picks one up and holds it over her head on the panel next to it we see a Cree baby floating in a fish tank with a giant the big giant head no idea what any of this means so then in the present some years later uh, we see us. We see the scroll kid, a girl named Nakala, and a Cree boy named Jovin. Yeah, the kids again, which I assume uh, they're the kids from the previous page, from the the pools and of babies and stuff. 
They're on that FF spaceship looking out the window at a fleet of Kree ships all outfitted with scroll warp engines. And they conclude that the Kree scroll war is over and the Kree won. Maybe the scrolls won. And they put their engines on Kree ships. And then the two kids get in an argument over this and we see they're on the ship with the Fantastic Four with Franklin and Valeria. Apparently Reed and Sue, parents of the year again, drag their two kids into the middle of the Kree Scroll war zone. And Reed tells his kids that they should escort the Kree and Scroll children home in the escape shuttle. Franklin is like, seriously? You know, that's what I said. Basically, we're at the beginning of the Empire issue one again. Johnny's trying to stop the kids from fighting, and he says, Calm down. Remember? We won both of you at that space casino back there. That means we own you, and you have to do what I say. Well, I, didn't, I wouldn't say they won them. It was more like a bargain. And then Valeria starts to cry, saying that she doesn't want to be a glorified babysitter now that they have two more kids. Are they keeping them? So they put all four annoying kids in the escape pod and launch it away. You know, this is great news. I think. You know, knowing my luck, the rest of the book will be following the kids instead of the FF. And yeah, of course, we see the escape pod landing on Earth. Uh, I guess we're going to follow the kids for the rest of the issue. For some reason, Franklin suggests they go to Disneyland and the scroll girl agrees. Boy, now is not the best time for that. Is it even open in April of 2020? Well, this is a well-timed ad for Disneyland, by the way. They fly over Vietnam for some reason? Over the temple of the High Priest of Pama, where the monks... You know in comic book East are monks and karate experts. The monks are doing some kind of ritual to summon the Dark Harvest. Dark Harvest. Sounds like the kind of code word used by Trump's white supremacist stormtroopers. Next, in Soho, Alicia Masters is in her studio. It says she's in her Soho studio. Sounds like a Phil Collins song. Soho studio. Alicia's making a small sculpture based on Johnny's girlfriend, Skye, who I completely forgot about. It's been so long, I can't remember much about the previous issue of Volume 6. Apparently, Johnny got a girlfriend with wings named Skye. Franklin and Valeria call up Alicia and say they're on their way. They were at a space casino, they say. Sky asks if they won anything. Um, you could say that, one of the kids replies. As the ship approaches FF headquarters, the Kree and the Scroll kids start fighting again. The Scroll girl turns into a snake monster. The Kree boy is riding her hard, and they bust a hole in the ship, which is flying out of control, hitting corners of, corners of buildings, chunks are flying everywhere, putting people's lives in danger, you know, it wouldn't be an issue of the FF unless someone from the Richards family was putting innocent lives in danger. Franklin looks pissed off. You know, the fact that he still has black hair, by the way, is baffling to me. Why? He hands, his hands are glowing, like he's about to blast the other kids with some kind of cosmic energy or something. Is this a new power? It wouldn't be an issue of the FF unless Franklin developed a new power. His powers are whatever is needed in the story. Valeria tells him to calm down, and she runs inside to call some other heroes for help. Gee, I wonder who shows up. So we go back to those people in Vietnam. Suddenly, they're in New York City. What? How? They have a grudge against the Kree and the Scroll. What? Why? 
This is the Dark Harvest. It's, they want to kill the Skrull and the Kree kids. In other words, they're my heroes. Next, we see Sky flying toward where all the action is, carrying Alicia. Sky says, I shouldn't have brought you, Alicia. There could be trouble. Taking a helpless, non-powered person into a dangerous situation, Sky's going to fit right in with the rest of the Storm Richards family. Sky lands near Valeria, who tells Sky and Alicia about the Kree and Skrull kids. Sky is like, "Oh my, aliens! Hey, lady, you're an alien." Oh, she's only aware of four alien races and surprised by the existence of more. You know, I think the first alien race you encounter is the most surprising. The second alien race, that's surprising, but a lot less so. By the time you get to alien race five and six, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, of course there's more aliens. Sky says she can handle two kids and flies over and has some kind of banshee type scream that destroys the asphalt on the street. Valeria says to Alicia not to worry, more help is on the way. You know, it would be funny if like, the only hero that showed up was the Punisher, and he just mowed down the kids with an Uzi. Is the Punisher still around? I haven't heard anything about him in years. Over in Washington Square Park, that big arch is apparently some kind of mutant teleporter now. A group of young people are gathering around waiting for a mutant to show up. Why? What is that? Washington Square Park is now a mutant gateway zone? You know, I haven't read X-Men in a long time. I don't know what that's about. But Wolverine shows up, wearing his brown and yellow 1980s outfit, which is my favorite one. He finds Spider-Man hanging around waiting for him. They make a reference for some reason to that three-issue storyline in FF 347 to 349, as if the two of them haven't met a zillion times since then. And then Spider-Man shoots a web, picks up Wolverine, and swings away. And there's a big panel of Spider-Man carrying Wolverine, done in the style of the cover to Amazing Fantasy 15, which is uh, pretty neat. I like it. Meanwhile, Sky, Valeria, and Franklin are still trying to stop the Kree and Skrull kids from fighting. The Skrull girl turns into a tiger. How does she even know what a tiger looks like? You'd think she'd turn into a Skrull animal or something. Spider-Man swings in and says, it's the spectacular Spider-Man and his sidekick, Claw Lad. Wolverine tells Spider-Man to shut up. Something's off. Can you feel it? Something's off, he says. Oh, what gave him that idea? All the destruction around him? The big tiger attacking a blue-skinned child? Spider-Man's spider sense is going off. He says there's very big danger around. We see these Vietnamese people lurking on the rooftops in the shadows. Which seems like a weird place to be lurking in the shadows, on the roof. The Scroll Tiger sees Alicia and recognizes her, and leaps over toward her, saying, It's her! It's her! After all this time! Now what? What does that mean? Wolverine attacks fast and uses his claws to stab the little girl in the chest. <laughs> she turns back into a scroll, falls to the ground, bleeding, and Wolverine is like, I didn't know she was a girl! I'm still doing an Australian accent because of Spider-Man and the Amazing Friends. The girl is still saying, Alicia, help me. And that is the end of the issue. So I could keep going, read Empire 2, but I'm going to end it here. Have you seen the list of Empire crossovers? It's so much. Way too much. 
What is Empire? The Scroll Cree Force attacks Earth and some other plant people attack Earth? Sounds like your standard alien invasion story to me. Nothing that requires, uh, you know, 50 uh, crossover books. Maybe something more will happen to justify the size of all this thing. Um, overall, I think this issue of FF is fine. For an issue focusing on the two kids, it's not as annoying as usual. The kids feel a little in over their heads, as they should. I do like the introduction of this weird cult, or whatever it is, from Vietnam. I am curious to see what their deal is. I'm also curious to see where they're going with these, uh, Skrull and Kree kids. My gut feeling is they're gonna end up sticking around like the old Future Foundation kids, and that doesn't seem original. Hopefully Slot has something else planned for the, for the kids. So on a scale of 1 to 4, I give this issue a 2. And that brings us to this episode's fantastic Wheel of Doom segment. When last I spun the wheel, it came up with Invisible Woman issues 3, 4, and 5. Right on the heels of doing issues 1 and 2, which is an amazing coincidence, but true. Now it's time to talk about those three comics I read. I read them three months ago, but I'm finally... Here they are, finally. Hi, welcome to Fantastic Forecast episode 656, part 4. Part 5, part 6. Today I'll be talking about Invisible Woman issues 3, 4, and 5, published in September, October, and November 2019 by writer Mark Wade and artist Mattia De Lulis. The cover to issue 3 is so weird. It's got Sue decked out like Madonna in the Material Girl video, surrounded by hot men in tuxedos. I'm pretty sure this does not happen in the book. It's just such a random and strange cover. <sighs> Modern comic book covers are so weird. So we're back with the final three issues of the Invisible Woman miniseries, and we pick up at CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia. Director Ballenthorpe is getting an update on the hostages in Moravian, and the other agent says the Moravians are staking out the building, waiting for any sign to bust in and rescue the kids, American college students. He also says that people have been keeping an eye on the Fantastic Four, but no one has seen the Invisible Woman in the, in the past two days. He does say forgive the pun. Not sure that counts as a pun. You would assume that A, the FF knows that some, someone is staking out their headquarters, and B, if Sue goes out, she will turn invisible first to evade the surveillance. The CIA director groans and he's like, get me Nick Fury. I'm surprised that he doesn't ask for like a Tums or a Rolades. In Curran, Ireland, in the home of the missing agent Tentreach, the wife is there washing dishes and Sue just turns visible right there in the middle of her kitchen. I'm pretty sure that's a crime, breaking and entering. Sue's like, I'm Sue Richards of the Fantastic Four. Sue is wearing her costume, so I don't think that introduction was really necessary. Actually, now that I think about it, maybe it's not a crime in Ireland. If you want to, just show up in someone's kitchen. Not a problem. Sue tells her what's going on, and we have a short flashback to Sue and Black Widow, with Sue saying that she didn't know that Tinchreach was married, which we already knew, didn't we? 
and Sue's saying that she's going to contact Mrs. Tintreach, which is what she's doing now in the present. So that's a perfectly unnecessary flashback. In the present, Mrs. Tintreach is like, Denga, where is my Aiden? Is he alright? As always, nailed it on the Master of Accents. Sue is like, I was hoping you knew where he was. And in Sue's thoughts, she can't stop thinking about how Aiden Tintreach lied about not being married. Get over it, Sue. What's it to you? It's so weird that Sue gives a shit. She should be like, oh, he's married? That's understandable why he lied about it, you know, being a spy and all. The wife is like, he said he was at a convention. He sells insurance. That's all I know. Sue asks where the convention was, and the wife opens up a drawer saying that she's going to look for it, but she grabs a gun instead. Sue reminds her that she's got a force field, so a gun isn't going to do much good. And then some dude with a couple of big uh, Liefeldian guns blows the door off the kitchen. Oh, these lax Irish breaking and entering laws need to be changed. This dude is wearing a jacket that barely fits. His chest and six-pack abs are clear, on clear display. He's got some kind of SWAT team with him. Sue seems to know who he is, calling him Enemy Argent. Really? Who names their kid Enemy? She puts up a force field, but he has some kind of gun that makes a bright flash of light that blinds Sue, and then another device that makes painful noise that puts Sue down on her knees. Even though Mrs. Tentreach seems to be immune to the loud noise, she's running around behind Sue with her gun. Enemy Argent and his team keep shooting at Sue's force field, and then Sue turns everybody invisible, which is a real freakout for them. They stop shooting, Sue knocks them out with force fields, and then Sue slaps that woman up against a wall and is like, Who are you? She says her name is Agent Colleen Graymar, a retired director of military intelligence, and posing as Aiden Tintreach's wife is part of a story to give Aiden Tintreach a cover story. Well, if that's the case, why did Aiden keep it secret from Sue? Oh, whatever. She says she's only seen Aiden twice in about 15 years. <laughs> I've had relationships like that. So Colleen makes some calls and then tells Sue that people are coming in to take away the thugs. And also, Aiden's last mission was investigating a billionaire tech manufacturer in Italy named Vedavia. Sue is like, Thanks, so long. So next, Sue's in Italy dressed up in her nice dress and earrings, like on the cover of this comic. She's going to some fancy party at the Chevalier Museum of Modern Art. I think I've heard of that museum. Don't they have the original copy of Dogs Playing Poker? Maybe not, maybe that's somewhere else. Okay, and we, we learn that Sue has a new trick taught to her by Valeria, of course. That little brat isn't even in this comic and she still finds a way to annoy me. Sue's invisibility powers are essentially the ability to manipulate light waves. So Valeria figured that she can manipulate colors, which she does to make her hair brown and to give herself a tan. Really? Uh, just put a wig on her instead of giving her some new power. So Sue goes in she starts watching this rich lady of mystery, Octavia Vedevier, a collector of expensive artwork. We see a piece of art that Octavia 
has donated a $40 million painting that looks like yellow paint dripped on a blue background. That seems about right. Modern art. Ugh, so great. You know, museums should get rid of all their stupid paintings done by people randomly dripping paint onto a canvas and replace them with real art. You know, comic book art. Then you'd have an art museum worth going to. Some hot young guy comes over and starts chatting with Sue about that ugly painting. Apparently, Sue can speak Italian? Like, what the hell? How the hell did she learn Italian? Where did that come from? There's nothing in her background to suggest that Sue knows how to speak Italian. He says, I have an eye for beauty. And he's clearly hitting on her. She turns her wedding ring invisible. Why? Next, she ditches him. So why not just show her wedding ring as if she's only going to brush him off anyway? She uses her powers to knock over some trays being held by waiters. And then during the noise and commotion, the painting disappears. Sue would make a good art thief, by the way. If I could turn invisible, I'd be stealing shit left and right. I'd be stealing money, expensive comic books, and, uh, money. And then in all the chaos, Sue grabs Octavia, turns her invisible too, and drags her outside. She's causing a shit ton of chaos just to get Octavia outside to talk, where she asks her about Aiden. She tells Sue about her new invention, Li-Fi. It's a replacement for Wi-Fi, only using light waves, which she says is a lot faster. Yeah, light is fast. But what if you want to use the internet at night, huh? So Octavia goes on to say that her husband was also kidnapped by the Moravians. Ah, they're kidnapping, kidnapping people left and right. But Sue looks and sees that Octavia doesn't have a ring on her finger. Like, busted. Octavia, ah, trying to get laid at a party. Oh, Octavia, trying to get laid at a party. When, holy shit, some guy pops up and he's about to hit Sue in the back of the head with a croquet mallet. Of course, he cracks the mallet over into pieces over Sue's force field. Surprise, surprise. There really isn't a lot of drama in a spy comic when the hero blocks everything with an invisible force field. It's kind of boring. Sue's like, may I help you? And then Octavia hits Sue with a weapon that can't be blocked with a force field. Infrasound. Sue doubles over and starts coughing up blood. Even though the blood is added with a computer and looks blurry and out of focus, Octavia quickly reveals that she doesn't have a husband and she's willingly helping the Moravians instead of being blackmailed. What the hell is going on? People are married, they're not married, they are married, they're being, black, they're being blackmailed, they're not blackmailed, they're doing it willingly, I don't know. It never, none of it makes sense. Sue is like, why don't you kill me? And then she looks up and sees Octavia standing next to Aiden. We know it's Aiden because Sue fortunately says, Aiden, otherwise I'd be like, who the hell is that dude? He says, we're going to need your help. So on one page, Octavia seems like a good guy. A page later, she seems like a bad guy. And then another page later, oh, she's a good guy. Oh, this has got to be some kind of record for telling a story with double agent type characters. So anyway, that is the end of issue three. Moving on to issue four, it starts with two pages of total darkness. And Sue is talking with Octavia and Aiden. They've done something to block her ability to see. So Sue is sitting in total darkness. 
and they warn her it might be a bad idea to use her force fields when she can't see what she's doing. And then there's a flashback to Ukraine eight years earlier. You know, the year 2011, the height of the Cold War. It seems in this comic the flashbacks always seem like some kind of 1980s Cold War movie. And in this one, Sue's in disguise and she's posing as someone's uh, incompetent secretary and getting fussed out by her boss. And she steals a flash drive from the guy, which, this is so dumb. Why does she have to go through the trouble as posing as his secretary when she can just turn invisible, walk in, and take it? How does she have time to Murphy Brown this situation? Next, she calls Aiden, who's in the middle of getting the shit beat out of him by what looks like three rednecks. So I guess they must be from Russia. But then Sue shows up, like where the hell was she? Aiden says that he was off on a side mission. Was that mission in the parking lot of the building where Sue was working because she got there really fast. She knocks out the bad guys, with force fields of course. Sue is a little more interesting when using her powers against super-powered supervillains rather than common thugs. Her car is invisible too, and they get in, they drive away. I assume she's making the car invisible, which seems very unsafe if anyone tries to cross the street or change lanes or speeding up. Invisible cars are, are a pretty bad idea. Invisible planes, on the other hand, pretty great idea. Back in 2019, Sue is still captive of Aiden and Octavia, who says that she won't return Sue's sight until she agrees to help them out. Now what Sue should say is, okay, I'll help you out, and then get her sight back and kick their asses. But there's still like one and a half issues left, so she can't do that. But then we get this thing from Sue talking about how her powers work, and her ability to manipulate light. And even when she's blind, she can make out shapes of Aiden and Octavia's bodies. So she does attack with force fields, and takes the remote control device and hits the button and restores her sight. Now that's a pretty horrifying weapon if it actually existed. Almost as bad as, uh, I don't know, the nude bomb. Speaking of 1980s spy flicks. So Sue demands to know what's going on, and Aiden tells her that if he and Octavia don't check in on time with the American Embassy in Moravia, all the hostages will be killed. Which is interesting, does that mean the Americans are the bad guys in the year 2019? Oh no, that's not possible. Octavia goes back to talking about her Li-Fi technology, which is a terrible name. She says it could be used to steal data from a Wi-Fi network at undetectable light speed. She co-created that technology with some other dude named... Oh, damn it. Dio Maskinez Knox. Who took off with half the technology specs and is hiding out on a mountaintop fortress, which is why they wanted Sue's help. You know, I don't understand all this subterfuge, hostage taking, any of this shit. If Sue was working for the US government already, why don't they just tell Sue, hey, there's this stolen technology on a mountaintop fortress, go get it, you're the invisible woman for crying out loud. It, all this seems very unnecessary uh, as a way to get Sue to help. Anyway, Sue has to go get that technology and after that the college students being held hostage will be let go. Later, on the plane together, Aiden goes on to tell Sue about how much he admires her because of her unwillingness to kill anyone. Because he, he just kills everybody. He kills, he kills, he kills. 
We see a montage of him shooting people. Well, Sue does have those force fields. It is the perfect weapon to fight bad guys without killing them. Aiden goes on to tell her about the time he had to kill a nine-year-old girl because she could have identified him. And then he kind of realized, oh, I'm a dick. And then he accepted an offer to become a double agent for Morovia. Is Morovia good or bad? I don't know. I don't care. So Sue turns herself and Aiden invisible and they walk into the lab and steal the device. And for some reason, they reveal themselves to Knox, the science guy, and they tell him that they're stealing the Li-Fi device, just to rub his nose in it. He offers to pay them triple what Octavia is paying them. And then, much to Sue's dismay, Aiden kills the science guy. She really isn't on the ball here. Like, she should have saw that coming. She's doing a terrible job. She seems completely uh, incompetent this entire series. She's getting jerked around, lied to, her partner is killing dudes left and right. And then, as they try to escape, Maria Hill from S.H.I.E.L.D. shows up to arrest them for treason. Is treason still a crime? Oh, Sue seems worried. Maria Hill has a gun. Oh no, what is Sue gonna do? How is she gonna get away from a woman with a gun? The issue ends with what appears to be hostages being loaded onto a plane. We can see that they all have their hands tied behind their back. So maybe they're not hostages. Maybe they're just, you know, flying Delta. That is the end of issue four, and on to the fifth and final issue. The cover to this issue was very weird. Sue is holding a smoking gun, and she looks very surprised, and the perspective is weird. It looks like the gun is huge, and guess what else looks huge? Sue's camel toe. It's huge! But this is no time to talk about what Reed has done with his stretching abilities. Sue and Aiden are being held at gunpoint by Maria Hill. The lights go off. Sue says it's not her fault. Aiden runs off into the darkness and is gone. Then Sue spends five minutes telling Maria the plot to this horrible miniseries, and the two women go running off together, obviously having convinced Maria to help out. They get in a shield jet, and they go chase that plane full of hostages. Maria says they should be able to catch the plane as long as nothing gets in their way. And then we see some guy hiding on the jet, clearly planning to get in their way. So they reach the plane pretty quickly. Sue creates a force uh, field invisible bridge between the two planes, which boy, that would be scary as shit to walk across an invisible bridge between two planes. Count me out. Sue gets into the plane where this one guy is like, What's going on? Who are you? You know, it's clearly the invisible woman. Is she famous? Is she not famous? The level of fame on the Fantastic Four is always changing. I'm sure if Kim Kardashian showed up on the plane, he'd be like, Oh God, it's Kim Kardashian, but Sue Richards, eh. One of the hostages conks the bad guy over the head with a fire extinguisher. He says that he recognized her. He tells everyone to be calm as she searches for a bomb. The passengers don't look very calm, and they don't get any calmer when Sue turns the entire plane invisible, as you can imagine. She better hurry before DC can file some kind of copyright infringement. Everyone searches the plane and they find the bomb. Sue tosses it out the door, it explodes, and the jet escapes safely. Next, Sue gets behind the wheel of the plane. What do you call that? The steering mechanism? She sits in the driver's seat. Is that right? Driver? Pilot seat? She sits there and she tries to call Maria Hill on the radio but gets no answer. Next, we see Maria Hill on the ground, unconscious, blood leaking from her head. 
Aiden is flying away in the jet, and he's got a full-on evil smirk on his face. He seems to have a grudge against Sue because she doesn't like to kill people. Ugh, I hate people like that. You know, people who don't like to kill. They're no fun. So now he's flying his plane right towards Sue's plane in a game of mile-high chicken. Take that, Kevin Bacon. He points out that the only way to stop him would be to put up a force field barrier, which of course would destroy his plane and kill him. Damn, this asshole wants Sue to kill someone so bad, he doesn't mind if it's him. He's like, she's like, dude, if you run into my invisible force field, that's on you. That's your suicide. Oh, there he goes. He ran into, he ran into it and his plane exploded. Oh, what a douche. A week later, Sue's in Ireland, out in a field, burying a locket engraved with Stormy that Aiden gave to her. Suddenly, Maria Hill shows up out of nowhere. How the hell did she find Sue out in the middle of a field somewhere? Sue asks, how's your head? Maria Hill totally misses the perfect opportunity to say, I get no complaints. RuPaul would not be happy with her. Maria tells Sue that whatever charges she may have had for whatever crime she may have done have been dropped. Because, you know, she's the invisible woman. Sue says, Aiden Tintreach... Aiden Tintreach was driven to the point where he couldn't live with himself. We're fortunate he could be nullified. I cannot risk the same thing happening to me because I'm unstoppable. Aiden knew that. Let's not take that chance, okay? Not right now. What the hell is she talking about? Then she says goodbye, turns invisible, the end. Ugh, such a crappy book. I gave my opinion on it last episode, and these last three issues haven't changed things. I sure hope we never see Sue doing spy missions ever again. I mean, fighting against ordinary people with guns is not right. You know, in the real world, of course, the US government would totally throw a shitload of money at an invisible person to get them to be their spy. You know, to get them to spy on America's greatest enemies. You know, England, Germany, Canada. You know, the worst of the worst. Now it's time to spin the wheel, the fantastic wheel of doom. And here are the 12 items on my wheel. Number one, issues one and two of Fantastic Four, World's Greatest Comics Magazine which was a 12-issue miniseries from 2001-2002. Second thing on the wheel is Fantastic Four Secret Invasion issues 1, 2, and 3, a three-issue miniseries that ties into the big Secret Invasion crossover. Number three on the wheel, issues 1 and 2 of Supervillain Team-Up, a short-lived series from the mid-1970s featuring Doctor Doom. Number four, Challengers of the Fantastic, a Marvel-DC amalgam book from 1997, that combines the Fantastic Four with Challengers of the Unknown. Number five, from 1999, another DC Marvel book, Fantastic Four Superman, which is a 64-page graphic novel. Number six, Fantastic Four X-Men issues one and two of the four-issue miniseries from 1987. Number seven on the wheel, the top ten hottest Fantastic Four villains. I'll be ranking what I think is the ten most attractive Fantastic Four villains of all time. Number eight, the Invisible Woman is off the wheel. So taking its place is something I call issue 44. I'll be doing a random 44th issue of any comic book in my collection. I have an alphabetical list of every comic I have. If we land on this, I'll spin a wheel of letters, and I'll be doing the first book 
with a 44th issue that comes up that starts with that letter. For example, it could be Quasar 44, Sandman 44, Daredevil 44, or, you know, Heavy Metal 44, just anything with a 44. And number nine on the list, episode one of the Fantastic Four radio show from the early 1970s featuring the voices of Stan Lee and Bill Murray. Number 10 on the list, Marvel 2-in-1 random issue. If I land on this, I'll go to a random number generator that picks a number between 1 and 100, and whatever number it selects, that is the issue of Marvel 2-in-1 that I'll do. Number 11, Fantastic Four random issue. If I land on this, I'll stick three, 635 numbers onto a random number generator and see what comes up. Number 12, for this, it's the last Fantastic Four story from 2007 by Stan Lee and John Romita Jr. If I land on this, it will be the last Fantastic Four story that I ever do on this podcast. Meaning, this podcast will come to an end, so the future of the podcast is on the line every time I spin the wheel. And so for the first time in four months, here's the spin of the Fantastic Wheel of Doom. Okay, the wheel is spinning. What do we got here? We got a uh, hottest, greatest secret evasion, supervillain team up. Ah, oh, it's supervillain team up. So that's it. That's the end of the episode. Coming in the next episode, Fantastic Four 22, Empire 2 and 3, and Supervillain Team Up 1 and 2. If you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. You can download episodes at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is over. First touch of summer, she's got your t-shirt on Sun's going down, school's out, stars are coming on You can't rewind it, but you can't ever feel like you do tonight Make a movie in your mind, but don't rush it Boy, you're about to see the light